I, uh, I am excited to share with you from the scriptures today. I had an interesting week of preparation where God gave me all kinds of ideas and thoughts. And then today, as I came in, I just felt that God was laying fresh manna on my heart. You know, If you know the story of the Exodus, in that story, God feeds his people by providing this weird kind of bread. And it's called manna. Are you familiar with the story? And it literally is translated to, what is it? That's what manna means. What is it? It's like the strange bread on the ground. And they gather this bread, and then every day, if they didn't eat it, it would go bad. So they had to go out and get more. So sometimes preaching is like that. You prepare, and then there's something fresh for the day. And that's what God kind of did with me today. So I'm excited about that. Uh, It was interesting. I came into the office this morning, and... It was early. It was early. It was about 6.30, believe it or not. And uh, I was very excited to see my brother in Christ, uh, Jerome, shoveling our sidewalks, which was really cool. So I got an opportunity to say, Happy New Year, Jerome, at 6.30 in the morning. And it was the first person I said Happy New Year to because I I went to sleep early last night. (laughs) So that was a a wonderful thing. But I came into the office, and I was going to look over what I prepared. And I just was not into it. I had, this is going to sound so weird, I had a song on my heart for my wife. So I decided I'm going to sit and I'm going to figure out how to play this song on my mandolin and I wrote some words. haven't shared it with her. She doesn't know about it. Pastor's wife, she's um, amazing, gets the kids ready, brings them to church, and so we don't see each other really until here. But it was just such a, a tender moment. It was something that kind of began in my heart last night. Um, as I was going to bed, Jackie said to me, you know, I have clothes for you for tomorrow, so you won't look you know, terrible like you would if you dressed yourself. Um, and I have a snack for you when you wake up, and then there's something for breakfast for you to take. And I kind of almost went over my head a little bit, but when I got into, into my room for bed, I, I thought, how grateful I am to have an amazing person. And I think I got the long end of the stick, you know. Uh, anyone who's married, you're, you're blessed to have a spouse, even if it's not perfect. Uh, you are blessed. You found a good thing, so make the best of it, <laughs> really. Um, you found a good thing, even if it's hard. Uh, my, but I, I was overcome with that, and I wrote this song, and I was praying to God about it. You know, why, why am I not, you know, doing the normal thing of praying for sermon and writing, you know, doing sermon stuff? And uh, it occurred to me. Jesus uh, spoke to me and said, as you have tender love for your wife, so I have tender love for my church. that kind of tenderness, you know, uh, God has for us, his people, even us really messy, dirty ones. Romans 5, while you were dead in your sins, Christ died for you. While you were still enemies of God, Christ died for you. His tender love compelled him to take the initiative with us. And as as he has loved us, we are to love one another. But this morning, I just want to tell you, 
You are the bride of Christ. Uh, you are the church. You are his body for whom he gave his life. Uh, that, that's how far his love went. Um, I don't think any of us have suffered uh, as greatly as Jesus has for love. Suffered and given his very life for people that weren't even asking for it and didn't know they needed it. Um, it's an amazing love that God has for his people. I, I don't know if you're in, in touch with that tender love of Jesus in your life on a regular basis. I'm not. But there are moments of clarity where I taste and see that God is good in my life. And I'm thankful for those moments. And I, I think when you feel a tenderness in your heart towards your child, towards your spouse, towards a friend, just remember, um, God's tenderness for you and his love for you is so much greater. Because you are, let's face it, not perfect, <laughs> along with me, a sinner saved by grace, but made in the image of God. But God loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. I will share that song with you later, Jackie. It's funny, too. Some things are for my own amusement, too. I'm just going to say, before I told Jackie that I loved her, back in 2006, seven, it didn't take very long to love Jackie uh, once we started dating. I was kind of one of those people, I, 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 the emotions, you know, love is such a, such a, it's something you do, you know, it's a choice you make. And I, when I chose to give my heart to Jackie, I think, uh, you know, the emotions flooded in and I felt love for her, you know. And uh, I, I was sitting with her in my favorite spot in uh, Northampton on the, by the cemetery there, which is very morbid, I realize. It's my favorite spot. I, I meet God there. But uh, I said, I just want to make sure that you're not in this for the money. I think that's what I said. And uh, once she verified that she wasn't in it for the money, we, we loved each other then. The second thing I want to share with you this morning is God is powerful, as we will see in the passage today. It's a long passage. I've been crawling through the book of Acts. You come in on Sunday, we're going through the book of Acts. Pastor Nathan says, Acts 1, verse 1, and then next week, Acts 1, verse 2. I've been crawling through Acts. Everyone's like, this is going to take forever. But really, there's so much formative material in the beginning, we're not going to be crawling through Acts anymore unless necessary. It's, it's, it's a story. It's a very engaging story. So we're going to read this big story. But one of the things you're going to see in our passage today is um, God is powerful. And this is, not, this is a reality that we deal with in our lives. God is powerful. God is sovereign, meaning he's all controlling, all powerful God. Uh, and this passage highlights that. I just want to say, this is the reality of who our God is. What we're reading here is not uh, something that happened that, that is no longer true. It's a truth about God that's still true today in our lives. So when we read about these stories in the book of Acts and what God does, uh, it's some pretty amazing stuff, and we serve that same God. And there's no reason to expect God to act differently 
with us than he did with these people. Granted, it was a very special time in the history of salvation, the beginning of the church. It was very, a lot of energy. But the miracles, the, the powerful displays that God did, these are not to be overlooked as being in the past, not for today. They are for today. They are who our God is and who he's always been. Um, also, as, as with the entire Bible, I, I want you to keep in mind, it's a condensed history. It's telling... Uh, snapshots of the story of the church. So, you know, you're in Acts 1, and it's this year, and then Acts 2, you're in three years later. You know, it seems like miracle after miracle is happening, like everything is miraculous all the time. But truly, there was a lot of mundane, day-to-day spirituality happening in the book of Acts. If you read between the lines, people were meeting together in church services like this, hearing preaching like this, but probably a lot better, because it was Paul. Uh, And they were just, they were taking communion together. They were uh, singing and making music to the Lord. They were working some of them, their jobs. It wasn't all miracles all the time, but miracles did happen. And I think the same expectation, I think sometimes when we overlay the book of Acts, we read it, we say, why is my Christian life so mundane? And theirs was so exciting. Well, your life isn't mundane all the time. Sometimes you go day to day and you don't see a lot of activity, but you know, every once in a while, God breaks through and you see his power. You see a divine uh, happening and God shows you, hey, I'm here and I'm doing stuff that you are not even barely aware of all the time. So as we read this, God is powerful. And we should expect the same kind of God to be at work in us today because he is the same God as he was in the book of Acts. And God is powerful enough to change our lives. Uh, there is nothing that God cannot turn around. No ship. You know, there's, there's never a time when a person is, is fully, you know, in life, hopeless. When they've gone too far. God has the power to change our lives. Uh, when we yield our lives to him. But God is a gentleman. And he goes where he's wanted. He does not barge into our lives and, de- and demand He humbly serves and comes to us. But when we yield ourselves to God, um, he has the power to change our lives, that powerful God of the book of Acts. So God loves you. God is powerful. Let's take a look at Acts 4. This is after the healing of the paralyzed man. We're continuing this this story. That's all completed. The man uh, was paralyzed in the temple entrance, and people walked by him every day. One day, Peter and John walked by him, and God says to them, I, I, my power is available to heal this guy today. So they proclaimed the healing, essentially. They were so confident of it, they boldly said, get up, and the man got up. And God was pleased to do that. So there's just thousands of people that have seen this guy. I mean, if you live in a small town, you know who the who uh, the people that you know, ask for money on the streets are. You, you, know, you know their faces. Maybe you've talked to them. Uh, common sight. So it would be the equivalent if we, if we had a, uh, someone who we knew was paralyzed, and then we saw a couple of guys heal, heal him. It was an amazing miracle. It was so amazing that uh, many people were added to the church through it. But the, uh, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, in verse 1, we're not terribly pleased about this miracle because they, they, they saw it as a threat to their power. They were the 
authority on all, all, all religion. Uh, and they were working for the Roman government, essentially. The, the Roman peace was ensured by the Romans' delegated authority to these leaders at the temple. And then the leaders at the temple kind of, kind of got power from the government, and they were very comfortable, if you know what I mean. It was very political. And so they see, first of all, Jesus comes along, and they crucified him. He needed to be snuffed out. Uh, because it was a huge threat to their power. He was saying that he was the king and that Caesar was not the king. And, and even the religious authorities, which were supposed to be the good guys, they were complicit with the government. And they said, you know, they, they, they snuffed Jesus out. But then the problem was Jesus rose again on Easter, right? <laughs> so that was a huge problem for them. They thought they dealt with it, but Jesus rose again. People knew about Jesus' body being missing and all these things. So this is kind of the atmosphere. This is kind of round two of confronting the authorities. And this time it's Peter and John. And once again, they've healed this guy in Jesus' name, this guy that the authorities thought they'd taken care of. And, uh, and they're not happy. They've got to do something about it. So the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Not only were they teaching about Jesus, but they were teaching about the resurrection. And the Sadducees, their theology was no one resurrects. When you die, you die. You turn to dirt, you're done. Uh, so, the, so they had kind of different ideas about that. So not only were they talking in Jesus' name, they were talking about a resurrection. They were very disturbed about that. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. That's how, that's how notable this miracle was. It was very strategic of God to heal this guy that everyone had seen. Uh, and 5,000 men came to Christ. And that specifically is men. That's not men and women and children. That's men. Uh, they were only talking about men here, because in, in this culture, uh, households, ha- like entire households were kind of viewed with, with the man as the head of the, of the household. And so when the, when the man of the house came to, came to Christ, the whole house came to Christ. They were all baptized. You see in, later on in Acts, people came to Christ. The whole house came to Christ and got baptized. It's just the way the culture was at this time. So we're talking not 5,000 people, but, you know, a modest number would be 10,000. People came to Christ. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. This is everybody. This is the Pope and all of his friends, like the highest of high authorities, the same people that dealt with Jesus. And you'll notice these names. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and the word for that is anointed. He was anointed in that moment by the Holy Spirit. He said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and here they're quoting scripture, 
the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Unschooled, the word there means illiterate. Illiterate. Unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was really nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. It's just such a funny situation. There's nothing they can do. There really isn't. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. It's definitely in um, talking to the spiritual authority of the day. You be the judges. Should we listen to you or listen to God, who you claim to be serving? After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, quoting scripture again. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Incredible text. And the first thing I'd like to point out uh, from this passage that really struck me is that these guys, though they were illiterate, unschooled, ordinary men, because they had spent time with Jesus, a lot of time with Jesus, they were able to speak to essentially what was the Pope and all of his highest officials and undermine everything they said just because they'd spent time with Jesus. It's really an amazing thing. Uh, They knew scripture because they'd spent all this time with Jesus and Jesus was constantly explaining the Old Testament and talking about the Old Testament and how it related to him and how it related to to them and how it related to world history. They spent all this time with Jesus over three years and they just absorbed this stuff. They were disciples. 
They were students of Jesus. And they had the word of God cemented in their heart. But not just like wrote Old Testament stuff. Jesus' translation of the Old Testament. Like the real deal. God himself saying, this is what this means. For three years. Have you ever spent a good deal of time with someone and then just begun to talk like them before? I can remember a negative example when I worked in a warehouse. I mean, <laughs> I spent three years being discipled by my coworkers at the warehouse. You start to talk like them. Um, you even start to adopt their attitudes and perspectives about life. Uh, you, you start to, you know, people that talk, talk about their spouses in a negative way, you hang out with them, and they're whining and complaining about their spouse, whatever. And um, you start to take that on. In your heart, you start to have the seed in your heart. You could even watch it. You could binge watch a season of something on Netflix, and you just start adopting the the way the character is. You know, so these are things that that we know are true. Bad company can corrupt good character, um, and we become like that which we immerse ourselves in very much, for better or for worse. And uh, these guys had spent three years with Jesus. They were uh, fishermen. They were the, the just working class, illiterate folks. They spent these three years with Jesus, and he had just rubbed off on them in such a profound way. Scripture was on their minds and their hearts. You, you notice they quote Scripture twice, and then they pray a quote from Scripture when they come together later on. They just had God's word in their heart, and they had Jesus' explanation of it on their mind. And so when the head authority of the church comes and says, this to them. They, had, they refute him with the very scripture that he's supposed to be the authority on. They just spent time with Jesus. I can tell you that the times that I spend in my life where I regularly read the Bible transform me. They really do. When we did the Essential 100 thing, that was just as much for me as it was for you uh, earlier this year, going through the Bible every day, writing a little commentary, reading these passages. It's, it's incredible how it changes your perspective. Because Jesus is discipling still. He's still discipling. Jesus said, call no man teacher when he was on earth. And he said, but when the anointing comes, there's that word again, he will teach you all things, even things yet to come. So Jesus' perspective is, immerse yourself in the Bible, which is what Jesus did. He read the Old Testament, knew the whole Old Testament. Um, We saw that from a very early age. And listen to the teaching of the Holy Spirit. The times that I've spent immersed in Scripture have been transformative for me. And it's something that is really hard to do in this culture. And people just say to me all the time, I'm just not that, I'm just not, I'm not the kind of person that reads, ever. So the Bible is just one more thing I'm not reading. Uh, There's so many different things that people say, but I really believe that one of the fundamentals of being transformed by the power of God who wants to transform your life is being immersed in the scriptures and, and, uh, and, uh, and seeking to, to learn from God through them. And when you have that in your heart, we have these, we have these silly CDs of, of kids' music. That is, it's actually really pretty cool music. But they have uh, scripture. And we play them in the car. It's been such a blessing to me probably just as much as it'll eventually bless my kids. But uh, there's a song. You probably know, Aaron has this stuff too, right? The Seeds of Faith. Don't be anxious about anything, 
But with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Just on my heart. All the time, because our kids make us listen to them over and over and over again. There's one uh, that Elias calls the dinosaur song, because <laughs> in the beginning there's this kid shouting, like, like what, is he, what is he shouting in that, Jackie? Crush! Crush! So Elias thinks it's a dinosaur, so we have to play that over and over again. And, and the song is, you know, the God of peace will crush Satan underneath your feet, you know? That kind of thing. It's great stuff. Having, I mean, I know people tell me, yeah, I'm not a reader, so I don't read the Bible, blah, 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 blah. Just get a kid's CD for your car or something. <laughs> I'm begging you. I'm begging you to read the Bible. Because if you don't read the Bible, you're going to be ill-equipped for your life. You really are. You're going to be ill-equipped to be a disciple, ill-equipped to give an answer, ill-equipped to make even the most basic of decisions. The time we usually start praying and asking for wisdom uh, is, is, is when something comes up that we really care about. Like, is this the job for me? Is this the relationship for me? Is this... But we don't have any experience seeking God before that, and so it it's kind of doesn't have much context. It's, it can be confusing. We don't have what we need at that moment. And I think 2017 is a great year uh, What's the app that you use, Jackie, and your mom? Daily Audio Bible, a free app. You download to your phone, and this trained, like, dramatic dude reads the Bible to you. You can listen to it in the car. He reads through the whole Bible in a year. So someone's reading to you. So my challenge to you is, and I'm, I'm being completely blunt about this, take 25% of the time you watch television and just listen to the Bible or read the Bible and ask God to reveal his truth to you. It's going to be awesome. It's one of those things that you don't, you know, I don't, you might not see a difference. And people say that to me a lot too. Like I'm reading, but I'm not hearing anything from God. It's not, I'm not hearing from him. But the truth is like, as you read this stuff, it comes up later. It's really remarkable. So you'll, you'll be reading the Bible and, and in a moment when you're praying, it'll, the scripture will come to your mind. And you're like, well, that wasn't for then. That's the discipline was to get this into my heart. And now it's here. And I have it. And I needed that. Praise God. You know? So I really encourage you. These guys were illiterate, which we are not. They didn't have the internet, uh, the New Testament. They didn't have daily audio Bible app. They didn't have kids' music CDs. They had Jesus. And, uh, and these unschooled dudes, they, they outsmarted the Pope, essentially. So there you go. You want to outsmart the Pope? Read the Bible. <laughs> okay. Point number two. It says, everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. There's something incredibly irrefutable about your personal experience. And God has done, in, this, in, this, in, the, in a church this size, God has done some really amazing things in, in individuals here that you could tell stories about. We hear about them during faith stories, which I forgot to do today. Not intentional. Not intentional. We hear about these in faith stories, about the amazing things that God does. Uh, our story is somewhat irrefutable. You know, I was once this, but then God got a hold of my life, and now I'm this. My marriage was here. We were filing for divorce, and then God got a hold of my life, and I turned into, like, not such a terrible person, you know, and, and, I, and I, you know, was there for my spouse. Uh, I had this addiction. Um, I had 
um, abuse that happened in my childhood, and, and God is something I always struggled with, and then God touched me and healed me. These are all stories that, uh, that are very common in the circles that I run in and in, and in this church. There's a lot of testimonies about, about this kind of thing. And when you have that story, it brings to life and illustrates the truth of Jesus Christ to this world. And, and the, the thing about this guy that was healed, it was such an obvious thing. There was just nothing that anyone could say. <laughs> like, these religious leaders looked pretty bad because they were saying, oh, you know, why'd you heal this guy? Whose name did you do it in? And they're, they're like, are we being called to account because we healed someone who was paralyzed? Like, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a crazy situation. There was nothing that anyone could say. And, uh, and as we follow Jesus, you know, there, people... People are skeptical, and rightly so. They have minds. They hear. They they don't understand fully. Um, people have very, you know, intellectually uh, um, reasonable objections objections to Christian faith. You know, um, people have have issues with different things in the Bible, and, and and have doubts about different things that may may or may not have happened in the Bible. And people struggle to find faith, and sometimes those struggles keep people from from God. Because it's just, if, I can't get this question answered, so I can't quite come to God. It's not working for me. But when they, sometimes, when, when people that have these issues see the power of God in the life of someone they know, they're like, you know what? Like, I don't know, I don't, I, maybe I can't have all the answers. Now, I don't have all the answers, by the way. Maybe I can't have all the answers. But I see that God is real. Uh, in your life, um, you were healed and, you know, this, this, this healing was irrefutable. There was credibility. And these signs, you know, when you hear signs and wonders, what's the sign? It's, it's a sign that points to Jesus. It's a sign that says, this is authentic. And, that, and this is uh, an amazing thing. Uh, uh, when God does these things in our lives, uh, they can't be refuted. And your experience and your, your, your testimony with God can't be refuted. It's not really an awkward thing to... When, when, you're, when, you, when you really have a relationship with Christ, when you're, when you're in your Bible, when you're hearing from God and walking, walking the Christian faith, it's just a part of your life. So you talk about it like anything else. It's not like a weird thing you have to drum up to talk about. You just share with people. As you sh- I, 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 I used to feel so much pressure to appear perfect to people in my work environment uh, when, I worked, when I worked in warehousing and when I worked as a janitor. I, I thought I have to represent Christ by, you know, being spotless, you know, to, to my coworkers. So I was always, you know, just, I felt very uncomfortable. I felt like I always had to show Jesus somehow. But God really spoke to me, and, uh, I, and when I changed shifts, I felt like God said to me, just be yourself. Stop trying to pretend to do anything. Stop hiding your struggles. Talk, talk, to, your, talk to people. Be a real person, you know. And um, that was very freeing, and through that, I started having more fun at work because I became less of a killjoy. And, um, and also, you know, when God did things in my life, I'd, I'd just say, oh, yeah, and this, and this thing happened, and here's the, the result. And, and you know, a, a, as, a, as a normal part of my life, I just shared the overflow of my relationship with God with them. Or I'd say, you know, this is what I heard in church, or this is what happened. And, uh, and I had guys coming to me to, for prayer, for conf- confession, essentially. <laughs> I told him, I should, should I wear a collar to work to the warehouse? That would have been pretty cool, you know? On a forklift with a collar. Um, it, 
when it's an over, the overflow of your life, you just you, you can't help but share about the things you've seen when, when Jesus is real for you. And uh, people can't deny it. This is how God shares uh, the, the good news with, with this world. So that's the second thing. The first, you know, they'd spent time with Jesus. The second, they did something that no one could deny uh, because it was God's work and everyone, everyone knew it. And they had a pretty good uh, amount of people come to Christ that day. Third, when they address God in the ends of, end of Acts, they say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And, and, uh, and they acknowledge that God is sovereign. They acknowledge that God is the creator. They acknowledge that God is all-powerful and God holds all things, all things together. That was their belief. And they derived that belief from Scripture. They had, Jesus had shared it with them and they had immersed themselves in Scripture. So they had this, this strong belief. And that was the preface to their prayer. Like, we believe this about you, God. You are sovereign. Uh, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Uh, you spoke to, through the Holy Spirit, uh, through the mouth of David. Um, you are all-powerful. We believe that. We, we hold this truth in our heart. And that frames their entire prayer. Imagine if, that, if, if you really held that truth in your heart when you went to pray. When you, if you believed God was all-powerful, I don't think you'd be so hopeless when you prayed. And it would be so sad. You know, uh, God, we just pray that God, you would just maybe, uh, if it's not too much trouble, you know. God is all-powerful. And I think that holding that truth in your heart, which is informed by Scripture and by the Holy Spirit, allows you to pray different types of prayers. And they pray a different type of prayer. After being thrown in jail, after having this confrontation with the authorities and essentially winning, uh, there's nothing the authorities could do. They come, they come back to their people. Like, if, if this was me, I'd come back here and talk to you guys. And they get together and pray. They say, God, you're all-powerful. And then they say, so, Lord, here's our prayer. Consider their threats and protect us because we're terrified. <laughs> no, they don't say that. They say, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They pray for boldness. Uh, and, then, and then they pray this very audacious prayer. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They say, God, this was great. It was a great evangelism tool. You did this awesome work. Do it again so that we can share with more people about Jesus Christ. And then after they prayed, as if God was answering them, which I think he was, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So what does that tell me about this prayer? They acknowledge God's sovereignty and power. They ask not for protection, but for boldness to keep on preaching because they're really excited about what's happened. And they say, Lord, do more signs and wonders and healings so we can keep doing this, so we can keep spreading the good news about Jesus and the power that you have to change people's lives. And God said, this is a prayer I like. This is a pr- kind of prayer I like. You got me listening. You, you believe I'm all-powerful, and you have the same desire as I do to reach these people. With, with, with my salvation. We are, we are in the same boat. We're working together. The place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's such an amazing thing. The, the, Jesus says things in the Bible like, you know, ask for anything in my name, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Um, all of these kinds of statements... And I think that at the root 
of those statements is this idea that if you really, if you ask for these types of things and you actually really want them in your life and they're in God's will, one way or another, he's going to answer. I think our struggle so many times is that we don't really, we can't really locate ourselves. Where are we in our faith? You know, we don't, we pray, but we, it's kind of weird. We hear ourselves talking and we're like, do I, do I really want that? Do I really want, Holy Spirit, fill me up to all the measure and fullness of God. Use me to, to, to boldly proclaim your word, to do healings. Like, you know, these types of prayers. And, and some, sometimes the question isn't, you know, does God want to do that? Because yes, he does. But the question is, like, do we really, are we really engaged in that prayer? Is that an honest prayer? And, you know, part of our thing with, uh, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying, you know, it's a magic formula when you really believe and want something and are on board with God that everything happens automatically. Nothing like that. I'm not doing, I'm not, I'm not trying to share that kind of thought. I'm just trying to share, when we pray, sometimes it's not completely honest with where we're actually at. And the best thing we could really do is pray honestly. Because when we pray honestly, we can get from A to B. You know, God, to tell you the truth, I, I really enjoy watching um, Netflix more than reading the Bible. But please help me to read the Bible this week. <laughs> That's an honest prayer. At the end of the day, I'd like to watch like four hours of television, Lord. <laughs> Please help me to spend five minutes reading the Bible. <laughs> That's an honest prayer, you know? And I think, I, think when we, I think we need to listen to ourselves pray, and we just need to be honest before God and ask him to help us. Because God wants to bring us to the next level. He does. And God, uh, there, there are steps we can take to grow in Christ. And we can do it. We really can. We can grow in our relationship with Christ. There's steps that we can, we can make. And God has a plan for our lives. God sees each of us in his heavenly kingdom. That's how far his plan is for us. It says in Ephesians, he has seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ. You know, God's dream for each of us is that we be the bride of Christ, that we be, he, he, he has a vision for our lives. He sees us as we will be. And there's all kinds of, steps that we take as we walk on this journey to get where God's calling us. And, and, uh, and I think that we just need to believe. God is sovereign. God is powerful. He wants uh, good things for us. God, what is the next step in my, in, my, in my journey? And you can do it. You can take that next step. I know. I, I, God's already spoken to me in the last month. I know exactly what to do to draw near to God. The problem is I don't want to do it. That's the honest truth. I know exactly how to draw near to God. This is a, there's nothing to whine about. God, why are you so distant? Why do you, there's, there's no complaining that needs to happen. I know exactly how to do it. I'm just not doing it, right? And I think that's true for everyone. We know, we know what we need to do. We know. And we have the power to do it. And God wants to help us take that next step. He has a dream for us that far surpasses uh, what we see uh, in, our, in our lives right now. Um, his dream is ultimately us in his kingdom. Um, us uh, following him more wholeheartedly. Let's be honest. Let's, let's, let's uh, come before him in this kind of way. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. They're going to lead us in a closing song of, of surrender. And this is just a time for you to pray an honest prayer to God about where you're at, where you'd like to be, and asking God to show you the next steps to get there. As we sing this song, listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, God is always speaking.
One way this way, one way that way, though man and woman do not always perceive it. God is speaking, and uh, you can do it. You have the power of Christ, you have the love of Christ, the tender mercies of Christ. Uh, So let's seek God together in this very specific way. And in 2017, let's become a people who are moving towards God's desire for us, towards his dream for us. His tender love compels us. Amen? Let's pray and sing. Have a seat. I'm having a recurring dream at nighttime, which I've, which God really revealed to me was a spiritual dream, okay? So don't be freaked out by that. Uh, so in the dream, we, we moved from our home on East Avenue, where I lived for nine years, um, seven with Jackie, into a new house in uh, last year, th- around this time. A couple months later, we moved my grandmother and my grandfather out of their house in Del Mar, which this house we'd grown up with in and were kids in. My, my parents, my mom was a, a kid there. We moved out of there. So in the same period of time, I lost these two spaces that were very special to me, right? They were homes. So in my dream, there's, a, there's this, it's either my grandparents' house in Del Mar or my apartment on East Avenue. And we, we go there when the people that currently own it aren't home, like when they're at work, and we just start living there. No joke. So the first time we're there and, and the, the guy comes, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety about being there. And the guy comes in and says, what are you doing in my house? And I said, well, we used to live here. And he says, um, well, okay, it's weird, but just get out. But don't come back again or I'll call the police. And then I had the dream again, and we, we did it again in the next dream. This is over a couple months. And he did call the police, and so we ran out of there. Um, we're going into this house. And, and then the other one is where we go to my grandparents' house, which has been redone and was flipped and sold. And it's like all new, and we start hanging out, like doing family stuff in my grandparents' old house. It's very like, Carl Jung would love this. You know, he'd love this. Uh, but the whole, the whole message that God spoke to me, I had this dream again last night, and God just really spoke to me in a very tender and warm kind of way. He said, he said uh, you cannot continue living in a house that you're not supposed to be in anymore. It's time to move out, move your stuff, paint, put up the pictures. You, you need to go to a new place. And for this church, it's for all of us, this dream, for each of our lives, we know it's time to move on. And, uh, and probably our friends and family know it's time for us to move on from something. God has a dream for us that he wants to propel us to something different, to a different level. We know what we need to do and we have the power to do it. So let's make 2017 a year where we really move in and put down roots in the new place God is bringing us, not the place where we're following our flesh into sin and death, but the good place that God is calling us the new home he's prepared for us. Let's see what he does in us in 2017. There's no one who's gone so far in the wrong direction they can't turn around. That is the beauty of the gospel. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit so that you might be anointed with the Holy Spirit, that you might hear his voice, and that knowing what you must do, that you will do it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Go and be the church.